0: Thanks, Todd and Linda. And, uh, you know, money in the church is always an interesting thing. There's always so many tensions. If uh, When you talk about it, everyone, you know, as we've shared before, says, "Up, oh, I knew it. No, they care about some money. And when we don't talk about it, then everyone's like, Well, we don't know what's happening with the money. How come no one ever talks about it? And so there's always that tension that we run with. But we think the best thing to do is to, A, talk about it because Jesus talked about it. Uh, but B, to be as transparent as possible uh, about what we're doing, because we know that that's also critical. As followers of Jesus, we need to be honest about what we're doing. Uh, but certainly I want to echo what Todd and Linda both said about thanking God um, for the generosity of this congregation, and, and remembering always that our vision our vision is to say, what more can we do to join in with what God is doing to make sure that his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And so we certainly are delighted to see uh, how God is at work and continues to be at work here. Well, two more things. One, because I know that some of you were not here at the beginning, I want to remind you, if you are not going to the All Church Retreat, A, we will miss you. B, we are only going to have one service, and that one service is going to be at 10 o'clock, right? So if you show up at 9 o'clock, congratulations, you will be here an hour early. Um, But if you usually go to the 10.30, you will be 30 minutes late, okay? So please remember that. Um, Secondly, as I look out here, I notice that a couple of you, actually two different groupings of you, who normally sit over there, are sitting over here. And I want you to know that you have thrown me off. And so... It's very weird to me that you've moved. I kind of want to shift and preach this way. That way it'll make more sense. So, but good job of switching things up, and hopefully it won't throw me off too much. The other thing, of course, is that we're done with Joseph. Uh, and Joseph was a great series, but we're done with Joseph. And and over the next four weeks, we're going to do a little bit of a hodgepodge, if you will, of things. Because of the fact that um, we had the all-church retreat, we have Labor Day weekend, so we thought, why start a new series now? We'll start the new series on September 11th. Um, but today, we're looking at uh, the letter to the Hebrews, and we're going to look at chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. One And because of the fact that we've been doing really long passages, I thought, why stop now? Let's continue to look at another long passage. So that's what we're going to do. So let's read this. Let mutual love continue, the letter begins. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it is well for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by regulations about food, which have not benefited those who observe them. We have an altar from which those who officiate in the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is to come through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with sighing for that would be harmful to you. Pray for us We are sure that we have a clear conscience, desire to act honorably in all things. I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, a morning in which finally, God, we seem to have received some rain. And so we give you praise for that. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you replenish and you renew your creation. We pray that it would be a reminder of the ways in which you renew and replenish our own souls. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would open up our ears and our hearts, our minds to you. that We might be shaped more and more into your likeness. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So this is promotional Sunday, which means all of our children were kind of moved up in rank here at, uh, uh, at ZPC. And of course, the reason we do that is because so many of our kids have finally kind of moved up. School has finally started for most of our kids, not all, but for most of them. And so this has been a fairly eventful week at the Deck household as uh, we, we've been able to hear more and more about our children's first days at school. Uh, Shaughnessy uh, started her second grade uh, year and Adalie uh, began kindergarten and so uh, it's been a kind of an emotional week if you will and uh, but, but it's been fun. You know, it's always fun to hear kids when they come back and they start talking about kind of school. And you're always kind of wondering, is that really what the teacher said? Or is that really what happened? You never know for sure when they're younger, right? And uh, Shaughnessy came back, and she was very excited after her first day of school. She said, second grade is the best. And I said, well, how do you already know it's the best? And she said, because we don't have to do any work. <laughs> and I said to her, well, you know, that was just the first day of school, sweetheart. I think there will be work. And so I think she's okay with that, but she was, you know, very excited. And Adley, like I said, is very excited. But our, our dinner table has already been full of conversations about new students that are there at our school and about uh, the drama at recess. Oh, gravy. And, and, and about this riding the school bus, all of these kinds of things, right, which is by and large great. But one of the things I was remembering uh, as we were talking about the beginning of school is that we always, at least I remember uh, as a child, always having some kind of test at the beginning of school, right? And the test was always there for a couple of reasons. One, they wanted to kind of see where every student was. And then secondly, they, I kind of wanted to see how much had we forgotten. Right? After two or three months of summertime, how much had you forgotten? And quite frankly, uh, with some regularity, I feel like I had forgotten quite a bit, especially with things like math, right? I mean, I always would forget math. And why did I forget it? Well, because for like three months, you know, I didn't have a teacher uh, in, my, in my bedroom with me or there in the, in the house who was telling me to do math things. I, I was sleeping in late. I was watching television. I was playing with friends. I was going on vacation. The last thing I cared about was... Math, right? And so I kind of got got out of habit of it. And because of that, then I forgot it, right? And so we would start. And so for the first two or three weeks, it was always about kind of going over those things. And finally, at some point, I'd be like, oh, that's right. Now I remember. And in some ways, it seems to me, that's also very much the same thing when it comes to the church and being a disciple, is that we easily learn something and then forget it. We learn something and then we forget it, we learn something and then we forget it, which is why we're always having to go over things again and again in the church, especially the basics, especially the foundation, right? It's the math that we have to keep going over because we easily forget. Which is why I wanted to bring us up, or why I wanted to talk about this Hebrews passage. Because there's one or two things in here that are absolutely critical and foundational to who we are as the church. That I think we have to remember. And even when we forget, we have to remember again. In fact, this passage, just in the first three verses, already two times it talks to us about forgetting and remembering. It says, the NIV translates it, do not forget forget to show hospitality. And when they tell you do not forget to show hospitality, what does it mean? It means that they've already told you at least once to be hospitable, but you have forgotten probably, right? And so it's saying do not forget, right? Or or, or later on, right, it says, remember those in prison, right? Which means probably that you have forgotten at some point what you first knew, which is that you are to remember those who are in prison. They're out of sight, maybe they're out of mind, and so you have to remember. And so again and again, we're told, remember, do not forget. So, what are we supposed to remember? What should we not forget when it comes to this Hebrews passage? Well, let's look at quickly at how it begins. It begins by saying basically have mutual love for one another. And the word that it uses in Greek is a word that most of us all know. I would imagine perhaps all of us know because the word is Philadelphia, right? which is kind of weirdly named in some ways, right? Especially if you're an Eagles fan, it seems weird to be called a city of brotherly love. But that means to have brotherly, and we might add sisterly love. Phila, right, being philas, being love. Delphia, meaning or Delphos, being brother, right? So we are supposed to have love for one another, right? Okay, for Christian brothers and sisters. But then it goes on, and it says that we're supposed to have hospitality for strangers, now, literally, again, in the Greek, what that is, is philazenia, philazenia, right? Which means have love for, xenia, for, for the strangers, right? And so we are supposed to remember, don't forget, you're supposed to love one another, right? Look at one person next to you and say, I love you. That kind of, can be kind of weird. Okay, okay, or don't. Uh, and, and we're supposed to have love for strangers, right? For those people that we don't know, for those people uh, who we are not familiar with. Now, I just want to point out one more Greek word. It's not in the scripture, and this is the most Greek will probably ever do, but it's a word, again, that most all of you know. And that word is xenophobia, right? Xenophobia, of course, means xeno, meaning stranger, phobia, meaning fear. See, you guys are good, right? Xenophobia, right? And that's something that we are not supposed to be. Right? Now, you guys know this, but I'm going to say it anyways, which is that we are called to be philozenia, full of love for strangers, not xenophobic. right? And it's very easy for us to forget that, especially in a culture that seems to be on edge, in a culture where it seems that fear is continually kind of bubbling up, as we've been talking about lately, that we as followers of Jesus Christ— are called to be a people full of philazenia, loving of strangers, not to be xenophobic, which means whether or not you like them, whether or not they believe the same thing you do, whether or not you like where they come from, whether or not they look like you, it doesn't matter. We are not called to be a people of xenophobia. We are called to be a people of philazenia. And in a world like ours... It would seem to me that the church has a remarkable opportunity right here to stand out. Not xenophobia. Philizania. I hope that's how you say it. OK? Something like that. A people who love strangers. But then, of course, it continues. And he talks about the fact that, um, that we are supposed to be a people who love our spouses and who do not love in adulterous ways others. And then it goes on to say that we are supposed to be a people who do not love money but who are content. Right, so all of these things—loving our brothers and sisters, loving our loving um, strangers, those we don't know, loving our wives, our spouses, our husbands, loving, uh, not loving money—all of those things have one thread that goes through it, which is love and misaligned love. Right, all of us were created to love. All of us will love something. It's how we were created. And the question that Hebrews is saying is, is your love aligned with God, or is your love misaligned? Right? And that's something that we, it's easy for us to forget. And what's important about that is because what happens is that when we become, when our loves become misaligned, not only are we looking at things badly, but we become distorted. When our ultimate love is not in God... Right? When we are not worshiping God first and foremost, which is what our ultimate love does, then we become distorted. I've been reading a book uh, lately called um, You Are What You Love by James K. A. Smith. It's a great book. I would highly encourage you to read it if you uh, have nothing else to do or even if you do. Uh, it's a very intriguing book. And, and in that book, he kind of he comes up he, he, there's a speech that he hears and he tells us this speech. And I want you to hear this. This is, for, this is a misaligned love. It says, if you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Let me Don't move to the next slide yet. You will never have enough, or at least you will never feel as if you have enough. If ultimately your major love is money and things, I am here to tell you, you will never feel as if you have enough. That's called misaligned love. And then he goes on to say, if we can see the next slide, if you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, right? This kind of goes back to the kind of loving who you have right there, your spouse. Then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Now, that's pretty vivid, right? Right? But any of us who have kind of lived and who have gotten older realize, you know, that when you look in the mirror, you don't look quite like this idolized youth, right, that you think to. I've got this one wrinkle right here that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I'm so, I'm a little bit weary. You can shut the slide down. I'm a little bit weary, quite frankly, of doing my nightly prayers with my children and them saying, Daddy, what are those things on your forehead, right? This is called Shaughnessy, Adelie, Winnie, and Liesel, Right. But if you idolize that, if that becomes your God, your ultimate love, if that is a misaligned love, right, then you will die, as it says, a thousand deaths. And so what is it? Where is our ultimate love supposed to be? Well, Hebrews, of course, goes on to say, not surprisingly, that your ultimate love, that where your love should really align, is, of course, with Jesus, right? With Jesus, the one who, uh, the one who is um, there yesterday, today, and forever. The one who will never leave us or forsake us. The one who is our helper, right? That that's aligned love. Anytime that you begin... To become more and more greedy, you are become greedy. That is misaligned love. Anytime that you give in to fear rather than into loving the neighbor or the stranger in your midst, you're giving into misaligned fears. Now, I have a weird feeling if I did a poll of all of us here and I were to say, are we supposed to love Jesus? Most of you would say, yes. And if I were to say, are we supposed to give in to misaligned loves? Most of you would say, And if I were then to ask you, and this we'll see if you're honest, is it easy to not give in to misaligned loves? Most of you, I would hope, would say, no, it's not easy, right? And so the question then, it seems to me that we are begged as we look at this, is, is not just the question, though, it's important to kind of remember, okay, no misaligned loves. Love Jesus. Let everything else kind of you know, scatter about. It doesn't mean that, you know, that those things are unimportant per se, but it does mean that first and foremost we align with Jesus. The question then is, why is it so difficult, and what might we do to be able to make sure that more frequently we have our loves aligned with Christ? Which brings us back to the end of summer. Or another way to put it, it brings us back to the fall. And and the fall, as we've already said, you have school that starts in the fall, technically. And there's also another beautiful season that happens in the fall. Football. The NFL. That's exactly right. Now, I love the NFL. I've always loved the NFL. I've shared some of this with you before. When I was two years old, we moved to Arlington, Texas, and Arlington, Texas, it wasn't then, but it is now the home of the Dallas Cow and Cowboys. And so, I love the Cowboys, right? I always loved the Cowboys, and I started—I mean, I started collecting things for the Cowboys. I have—I have Cowboys uh, uh, shirts and jerseys, a hoodie. I had a cowboy belt buckle. I even had Cowboys tennis shoes, which were really cool, and so, and I had a poster from the 1977 team poster of the Cowboys. I got it at McDonald's, and everywhere we moved, uh, whenever we moved, because we moved quite a bit since my father was in the Navy, we would put everything, and it never quite felt like home until I unwrapped that 1977 Cowboys poster, right? It had Roger Staubach, Tony Dorsett, uh, Efren Herrera. Anyone? Okay, and um. Tony Hill, Ed Tutal-Jones, I mean, Randy, right, all of these, like, really grateful, and I loved it, and it was home, and when I was, I can remember, I don't know why I remember this, but when we lived in Guam, I became a, a part of this kind of NFL club kind of thing, and, and I got all of the pennants for every uh, every single NFL team at the time, and I had them going all the way around, and then they gave me an especially big one of the Cowboys, and I, I loved it, and so I, I just grew up loving it, and, and when I was in high school, I would have to go to church on Sunday evening for choir even before Sunday night worship, right? This was this is old school, and my mother, because this was well before Wi-Fi, my mother would bring for me when she came to worship all the scores on a little piece of paper that she had written down, right, Uh, of all the games, right, and what the scores were and what was happening, right. I mean, I loved the NFL, right, and I continued to as I got older, right. I continued to, yeah, I spent money on things for the NFL. I I I, um, I was always talking about it with my friends. I was surfing the web. I was watching or looking at Sports Illustrated. I was watching a ton of Sports Center, right. This was back when they actually did highlights. And so I was doing all of these kinds of things, right? I love the NFL. And if I had to miss it, I felt like something was really missing in my life. I mean, if I had to miss it, I was like, I was out of sorts. I wasn't very good, you know? And if I was someplace else, you know, now at least I would, you know, I could have my phone and kind of see what was happening, you know, act like I'm listening to somebody while I'm really checking out the score. Not that any of you would do that. I loved the NFL. And then something happened which is that I moved to Scotland. And all of a sudden, I was really kind of without the NFL. I mean, you could watch it maybe if you went to a particular place, but it was really late at night and and, and, and and it wasn't on the normal television, right? No, all they were talking about was the other football, right? I mean, that's what they wanted to talk about all the time. Uh, so I couldn't watch it at all. And, and and everybody else that was around me, the Scots don't really care that much about the NFL, so there was really nobody to talk to about it. I didn't wear my stuff that much because people were like, well, what are you doing? I like to stand out as an American. So I, I didn't really wear my NFL stuff that much. And and I mean, I could keep up with it a little bit. I liked it a little bit. But, but something weird happened, which was about November or December when the NFL season was in full thrust. All of a sudden, I realized something. That my love for the NFL, miraculously enough, had, had dwindled. I still liked the NFL. I would look on Monday morning to kind of see what the scores were. But I didn't care about the NFL nearly as much as I used to. And I hardly even missed it. And and, and as I began to reflect about it, you know, in the next year or so, I realized just how much our loves are shaped by our context, by the people we surround ourselves with, by the things we spend money on, by the things that we watch. Now, I'm not here to tell you that, that, that if you love the NFL, you have a misaligned love. For some of you. But I am here to say that, that, that I would have told you that my love for the NFL was something I was born with. And was this something that was there and that could never, ever change? Because I missed it so much when I was in this context. But the reality is that our loves are dramatically changed by the people and the things that we are reflecting on and the things that we're wearing and the things that we are spending money on. This is not just kind of innate. We have control of what we love oftentimes by the situations and the positions and the reflections that we have. Which brings us back to this kind of strange part of Hebrews. It's this middle part of Hebrews that begins talking about high priest and sacrifices and outside the camp and animals and altars. It's all a little bit strange. And if your eyes kind of glazed over when we were talking about that, I I don't blame you all that much. In fact, scholars still don't know exactly what all of that means. So I'm not going to be able to explain it all to you, but here's what I want to tell you about that. If there are one or two things we know, one is that all of this is talking about the Day of Atonement, which is also called Yom Kippur, exactly. And in Yom Kippur, what would happen is the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. The one day of the year that he would go into the Holy of Holies, and they would make the sacrifice of the animal, right? The sacrifice for our sins, if you will. And then they would take the carcass, and they would take it outside the camp, as they say. Outside into the profane, into the unholy places, and they would burn it up. And what Hebrews is saying is that Jesus, who is our ultimate sacrifice, was not sacrificed within the Holy of Holies, but was sacrificed outside the camp, out into the profane, out into the unholy, and that we are actually supposed to go with Jesus outside the camp. So what does all of that mean? One of the things it means, of course, is that our sacrifice is ultimately be taken care of by Jesus and no longer by animals. But what it also means is that there is no longer the holy and the unholy as there was before. In other words, the holiness is not simply contained to one moment once a year or to one place. That doesn't mean that there isn't holy or unholy, but it means that everything at every part of our world and all times of the year can be made holy through the power of Jesus. And we are called to go outside the camp in order to begin to practice that, to celebrate that, to share the love and grace of the sacrifice Savior with everyone. It's not just what happens here at nine o'clock or at 10 30. It's what happens everywhere if we will follow Jesus outside the camp. And that means good news to the world but it also means something else that we don't oftentimes think about which is this which is that if we are beginning to practice that holiness if we are practicing generosity and hospitality and faithful love if we are practicing loving of the strangers when we are outside the camp so to speak throughout the week guess what begins to happen to us we begin to be shaped differently. This isn't just good news for the world. It is good news for us. Because I am here to tell you that if you come here once a month or even once a week and you are thinking that by my coming here, I am going to be shaped more and more like Jesus, I want you to know that unfortunately, that is not enough. That we will not be shaped more and more like Jesus, more and more into the aligned love and not the misaligned love, if we just simply think that this is going to be enough, right? What's the analogy we always bring up? Working out. If you go in to LA Fitness and you work out once a week, and then you go home and you eat everything that's in sight, and you don't exercise at all, then you look in the mirror and you'll be like, I cannot believe this. How am I not seeing any change? It is the same if you come in here and you think that just by coming in here, this is critical to be in here, but if you think that just coming in here is going to begin to help you to get away from misaligned loves and follow the ultimate Jesus, we are going to be in trouble. That is why we are continually asking ourselves, what can we do to make sure that what ZPC is about is more than just what happens at 4775 West 116th Street. I know I keep reminding you of this, but that's because we cannot forget the way we spend our money. When I was spending my money on the NFL, guess what I was thinking about all the time? The NFL. The more that we begin to become generous, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, the more that we begin to feel generous. I'm here to tell you, I've told you this before, and I know what Todd said about a cheerful giver, but let me tell you this. I'm not not usurping the Bible, but let me just say this. Do not wait until you think you are going to love being generous. I am here to tell you the act of being generous, and the more that you practice that generosity, the more that you will begin to love being generous. I hate if I have not been working out for six or eight months or so, maybe six or eight years. When I start going back, I hate it. When I wake up to go to the gym, I am miserable. I can never do this. But after six or eight months of doing it and practicing it, all of a sudden when I begin to see results, all of a sudden I begin to love it a little bit more. That's why we talk about generosity. It's why we talk about home groups. Home groups are coming up again. You can register today. Why do we talk about home groups all the time? Because of the fact that, A, it gets you out of here for the most part. B, it doesn't happen just on Sunday mornings. C, you get to talk to people about What you're wrestling with about your faith. It's just like talking about the NFL. The more I talked to the NFL with friends, the more I loved it. The more you are able to talk with others who are on this journey, the more that you begin to love Jesus and the more that you begin to shape your loves. Right? It's why we continually talk about all of these kinds of things. What are the things that we can do outside of this place? It's why I'm continually giving you homework. Last week, what was the homework? To watch the dream team and to think of me right being on the dream team but that wasn't the ultimate but what it was is every time that you see the dream team anytime you hear about how they almost lost right to australia anytime you think about that that you would remember that we are a part of the winning team right i don't want you just thinking about it right now i want you thinking about it throughout the week so that you will remember it and it's a part of the reason why we did the who's your neighbor series right the hoosier neighbor series so that we would remember when we go home that we're not done working out we're not done practicing the faith which is also why the block map is in your bulletin uh-huh now i told you all who were here at the beginning of the summer that we were going to go back to this block map at some point. This is what the teachers call a pop-up quiz. I want to see how have we been doing Because I don't like just bringing up something one time. The real question is, how are you doing? It's easy over the summer to have forgotten, even though summer, in many ways, is the ultimate time. Well, the good news is, it's still warm enough for us to meet more neighbors. And so, if you're new, or if you haven't done this yet, you're kind of off the hook, but you still have to practice this, okay? So here we go. We've got three questions. I want you to do this. We have three questions. We don't have a closing song today, so we're not going to go overly long. So don't get nervous about that. Here they are. Here is the very first question. Write the first and last names of your neighbors. I am hopeful that you can write more than you did last March when we started this. I'm going to give you a minute to write down the first and last name of your neighbors. My guess is that you all are still writing because you know so many of your neighbors. And that's good. You can continue on that. But let's move to the second question as well, which is write down something relevant about them, like their job or where they're from. In other words, not like I know they drive this particular kind of car. Everybody knows that, right? Or that they don't mow their lawn. Everybody knows that. This has to be something that you can only know from at least having some kind of conversation with him or her. Now, I know that most of you are still answering the first question, but we're going to go now to the third question, which is write down something more in depth about them. How many people can you write down something of your neighbors about their dreams, their beliefs about God, their fears, um, anything like that that's even deeper? About how many of them would you say, or or you could write down something, or if you want, you could just make a check mark on one of the other names that you've done, um, just to say, yeah, I know something about this person's dreams or hopes or their understanding of faith. So why do we do this? Thanks, Stevie. Why do we do this? This was based on the premise that if we are going to love our neighbor, which is what Jesus said, then we have to actually know them, know something about them, right? And now here, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to do this again at some point. Because here is what is absolutely critical, it seems to me. I do not want ZPC to be Mick Church. And what I mean by that is, I do not want us to be a place that is simply someplace you come for spiritual goods and services and then you just simply go back home to the way things always were. I know it would be easier if all we did was come in here, sang a couple songs, listened to a story or two, and then went went home. I want you to know that that is not very interesting to me. Because what Jesus wants us to do is, A, not just be coming in here in order to have goods and services. Jesus wants to give us a call, and a part of the call is to not be content with the way things are. We live in a world full of misaligned loves, where power and money and sex and everything else keeps wanting to take over from the love of Jesus. And what Jesus wants for us as a church is to be a people who say we are committed to making changes. We are committed to saying that God's kingdom is going to come on earth as it is in heaven. And that will not happen if all we do is come in here once a week and leave. Nobody else is going to be changed. And quite frankly, we ourselves are not going to be changed. But when we go out and we start being generous and hospitable and not loving fear but loving the stranger and being faithful in our loves, when we go out and we begin to practice that day after day, week after week, month after after month not only does the world around us begin to be changed but we ourselves begin to become more and more shaped like Jesus Christ and that is exactly what God desires for us sisters and brothers in Christ my hope is this my hope is that we will be continually remembering where are our loves And that as we do this, and as we practice, and as we get in the habit of following Jesus each and every day, that we and that our world will be changed. Amen? And please stand.